Okay, usually I don't take notes. <laughs> but I'm burning insides. So in order to stay in track, I'm going to have to look at my notes sometimes, okay? Now, <laughs> believe it or not, the first book of the Bible I read when I, was, when I became born again was the book of Revelations. I didn't understand what was going on. But I thought to myself, let me just dive into it. Why not? Because I'm just that type of person. Let's go to the end, right? Let's go to the end of the book and work our way backwards. And I found the book of Revelation so fascinating. I am going to talk about the Church of Philadelphia, but this book really touches my heart. And I just want to share a few interesting facts with you at the beginning. Okay, fact number one. Did you know? To read the book of Revelations, it tells you how to read it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to this. Write the things which you have seen and the things which you are, which are, and the things which will take place after this. Now, who's talking here? Jesus is talking to John. Now, this is very significant because he says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place. This is how you read the book of Revelations. From Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 to 18, John is seeing a vision of the resurrected Christ. So this is him, Jesus saying, write the things which you have seen. This is what he has seen. Then he says, write the things which are. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 is what is. What is chapter 2 and chapter 3? Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are the seven letters to the seven churches. Now this is very important. It's very important because essentially he's talking about the church age. And he's saying, listen, there are seven churches that I want you to write to. Now, before I go in any further, I need everyone to understand these seven churches actually existed. They were actual churches in the territory that we now know as Turkey. So these seven churches actually existed. I really need to just really just put that, put that home there. They existed. However, I want everyone to understand that the, the letters to the churches, you may think, well, hold on, we got to Kensington Temple. You just told me that the churches are in Turkey. What are you talking about, my friend? Now, you have to understand, these churches are prophetic in nature. They're not just churches that, that were in Turkey. They also represent types of churches throughout the years, since the first church to now. It represents type of people going through different types of issues in life. It's this letter to the churches isn't just the churches that were. This letter to the churches is talking to the people who are still operating today as believers. Another interesting fact. Do you know Revelation chapter 1 verse 3? is the only, it says, it's the only book, the, the book of Revelation is the only book that says if you read it, there's a blessing. There is no other book in the Bible that says if you simply read or hear the book of Revelation, there is a blessing found in it. So this was one of the reasons why I read it straight away, because I was, I was hungry for blessings when I first came to Christ. I never knew what I got myself into, but there was a blessing there, and I truly believe I was blessed by it. Now, I want to say something really interesting. Earlier on, I said that the seven churches also represent the um, seven, you could call them dispensations, I wouldn't call them dispensations, but, but um, periods of church. The church of Ephesus was 
really the apostolic church. It was the first church. We read it in Acts 1. These, this, the church of Ephesus represents the apostolic move. The church of Smyrna, of, of, um, of Smyrna represents the persecuted church. Pergamos represents the married church. What I mean by married, it was married to the world, and that was one of their problems. The church of Tyratyra that we um, heard about a couple of weeks ago was the medieval church. Sardis was the denominational church. Not KT, just denominational churches in general. And Philadelphia today, I want to be talking about, and I would say, I would classify Philadelphia as the missionary move, and that really is the heart of Kensington Temple. To be really a place where disciples are made and sent, and the gospel is spread. And next week, we'll go into Laodicea. Now, upon thinking about this, I thought to myself, Lord, how can I present this? And I realized the best way to present this is slightly differently to how it's been taught so far. So, people at the back, could you go to the report card, please? Now, as you're going to see, you're going to see a report card behind me. And I realized the reason I'm going to talk about a report card is the following. You see, in school, we used to have report cards. In, um, in coursework, you get, a, you get um, kind of like a, a report in terms of there's certain criteria that you have to meet in order to get a certain level. So, for example, look at this, right? If you do certain things, you have to meet a criteria in, in a coursework. Or let's say sprinting. Usain Bolt, he has a report card and he has to achieve an A. To get a D, he has to prove he can walk. To get a C, he has to, he has to um, re respond effectively to outside stimulus, like a gunshot. To get a um, B, he has to show acceleration and sprinting power. But to get an A, he needs to run 100 meters under 10 seconds. If he does that, and he runs under 10 seconds, he gets an A. However, if he shows he can walk, if he shows he, has, um, he can respond effectively to outside stimulus, which is a C, if he shows that he can um, show acceleration and sprint in power, but he doesn't run over 10, uh, he doesn't run under 10 seconds, then he gets a B at best, right? So you get the grade of which your um, behavior shows. And this is what the letters of the, um, to the churches is all about. This is Jesus giving everyone a report card. Now, this is very fascinating because if you have a report card, and if you know what the, the king or the assessor is assessing, it gives you opportunity to change your results. This is very important. There will come a time, I want to fast forward and I want to rewind. There will come a time when we sit at the beamer seat judgment. What is the beamer seat judgment, I hear you ask? The beamer seat judgment is the judgment day for believers. Don't worry, if you fail, you don't go to hell. Hallelujah. But if you don't do good, you won't get the rewards that God designed for you to have in the first place. So there is an effect here. Now, your rewards in heaven will affect so many things. So many things. Churches don't really talk about it that much, but it will affect your time in the millennial reign. What is the millennial reign, I hear you ask? The millennial reign is a thousand years where Jesus rules on earth as king. What you do today, in whatever part of London or the UK or the world that you're in, 
for Christ will affect what you do in the millennial reign and in terms of past that, we don't know because the Bible only says so much, but I would encourage you, it will affect eternity. There will come a time you will sit face to face with the king and he will assess you accordingly. He won't assess me a certain way and you a certain way or you a certain way and you a certain way. It will, he will assess you by what we can decipher in the letters or to the churches. Are you ready to understand a bit more? Amen. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Now, I've given you a bit of a background. Now, what I would love to do is really talk about all the things that the churches were told about. This is, this is worth writing down. What was a, I've given you a prophetic um, view of the churches, but let me give you a personal application. Ephesus, what did Jesus want? He wanted them to understand that they were neglecting their priorities, their first love. Don't neglect your priority, which is a devotional life of Christ. Two, Smyrna, what did God want them to personally apply? Be aware of satanic opposition and live a life in prayer that has the capacity to overcome it. Pergamos, worldly compromise. Live a life in a way where the world doesn't compromise your words and your actions. Tyra, Tyra. What was the personal application? It was run away from pagan practices. Now, you may think, oh, do I do pagan practices? You'll be surprised. Some of the stuff that we do. I heard someone say to me, <laughs> I had someone say to me, um, I have like a saint's card and I put it underneath the doormat of my house. Touch it. She gave it to me. What she didn't know, at that time, I was spirit-filled. And what I could smell was a demon on the card. Now, why was God showing that to me? For many reasons. One was that this was proof that this was a pagan practice. Her faith wasn't in the finished work of the cross. Her faith was in the card. Error. Sardis, what was the personal application? Jesus was saying, be watchful and diligent in doctrine and in your lifestyle. Philadelphia, which we're going we're gonna to talk about a bit deeper, be a loyal ambassador. So, these were some of the applications that Jesus wanted to apply. This is probably worth writing down as well. I'm just trying to give you a better template. So when you read scripture, especially chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelations, you have more of a, a, a structure. Here's a good structure to read every letter. And this is where this is kind of connected. Understand that the structure of each letter has, a, has the name of the church. It has the title of Christ. Each church has a different title that Christ is trying to reveal to them. He's trying to reveal that title to, to them because he needs them to trust in that title so he can be that title and manifest that in their life. There's a commendation in each letter, except for one, right? There's a concern. So Jesus was concerned about certain things. There was also encouragement. And then at the end, there was a promise to the overcomer. That's worth remembering, a promise to the overcomer. And finally, there was a closing. And the closing was, he that has an ear shall hear. Now, 
That's the background information. Let's flow today in the teaching, to a certain extent, of the Church of Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 13 reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, this is Jesus speaking, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Of course the assessor knows your works. And in every letter to the church, he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my words, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commands to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the, um, the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is fantastic. When we started distributing the churches in a meeting, before they even said who would like to do what, I put my hand up. I said, I'll just do one. I'll take Philadelphia. The reason why I take Philadelphia is because of many reasons. I can't really talk and teach everything about Philadelphia today. But I will say this. I want to give you a few snippets, right? Here it talks about, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe that this particular verse is talking about the rapture. Again, the rapture isn't a concept that the churches talk about that much. And those who do know about it, you have to understand you have three types. Now, I pray one day I'm, gonna, I'm given the opportunity to teach about the rapture. Not just my beliefs, but the different types of beliefs you can have concerning it. Now, <clears throat> the rapture, what am I talking about? Some of you may think, what are you talking about? Rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Then we which are alive, talking about believers on earth, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in, in the air, and we, shall, um, and we shall ever be with the Lord. There's another verse that talks about, and we in a blink of an eye shall be changed. The reality is this. Let me pause for a second. The reality is this. Though we are born again, I want you to touch your hands. Touch your, I want everyone to touch their hands. What you touch, what you see, isn't the end of who you are in Christ. There will be a time. Hands up if you have a back pain at the moment. That's about 12 people in a, in a room has, has a back pain, right? There will come a time with your glorified body that you will never have back pain again. 
One of the aims in Christianity is to see the power of the kingdom of God seen. So healing simply points to how things will be. Raising the people from the dead is simply a sign that there'll be a time that you will be raised from the dead and you will never die again. Every sign and wonder simply points to the kingdom to come. And it's important to know that. So, I believe that this particular church was a church that Jesus was talking about. You guys will definitely be part of the rapture. Okay? And I'm thinking, listen, I need to be part of this church. What's going on here? Right? But rapture for another day. We'll move aside. There's another verse I want to talk about. It talks about, I have the key of David. I want everyone to understand that the key of David that Jesus speaks about here is very similar to the keys of the kingdom. What am I talking about? There was a time Jesus was walking with his disciples and he says, you know, who, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the, you're the son of God. That's who you are. Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't told you this. It wasn't John or James that told you this. My father in heaven told you this. He then says that what you have spoken is the key to the kingdom. What he's really saying is this. Because Peter had correctly identified who Jesus was, there will come a time when Jesus would die for Peter and for all, raised from the dead. And if we believe the truth which Jesus is God in the flesh, who died for our sins, raised from the dead to give us new life, if we believe that truth is the key to the kingdom, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want everyone to understand this one beautiful thing. This key that Jesus is talking about, that he has the key, he is the key. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the key. And the reason why this church is known as the missional church, because these people held the gospel message close to their heart. And as a result of holding the gospel message close to their heart, not only would they go out to evangelize, but they would know fully who they were because they were constantly engaging with the information that because Christ died, the old me died. And because Christ raised from the dead, there is a new me that is alive and active. This wasn't just part of what they said to people, this was part of their prayer. Morning, afternoon, night. Their foundations of what they said, how they lived, was based purely on the foundations of the gospel that they believed. It was the most important thing. Now, I wondered for many times, I said, Lord, why does it say in in Revelations um, concerning this church that they had little strength because of the history? Remember, these were actual churches that that existed, and they went through certain challenges. One of the challenges that um, the, the, this particular church went through is that there was a season, I believe it was 139 BC, um, uh, AD. There was a moment, I believe, or, or it may have even been earlier, but there was a moment where they were either coming into persecution, so it was still prophetic in nature. There was a time when the, the, there was an opposing army that was against the believers of this church. And, and I, if, if, if my memory serves me correctly, it was an Islamic army. Now, what's so interesting is that even though this, um, this army was so big and against them, 
they held fast to what they believed. And this is what Jesus spoke about. So not only was Jesus talking about a season that this church was going to go through, he was still ultimately talking to you. Hold fast to what Jesus came to do for your life. Hold fast. In the face of challenges today, in the face of relational issues, in the face of identity issues, in the face of personal issues, emotional issues, whatever the issue may be, hold fast to what he has done, to who he is, and to who you are as a result. Hold fast. Hold fast to what I hear you say. Hold fast to your crown. How interesting. Do you know you have been given a crown already? In order to hold fast to something, you must have it already. God has given you, you may not feel it. I know some of you are thinking, what, what's the, what are you talking about? God has given you a crown that you cannot feel, that you cannot see. But the crown he's given you is a crown that if you continue living for him, you will hold fast to that crown. However, if you don't, you can let go of the crown. Too many times I've heard the gospel preached in such a way where it's like, you know, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and go about your business. It's fine. I'll see you in heaven. 50 years. God bless you. Bad, bad, bad. Why is this a bad message? Because the proclamation of the gospel isn't about just going to heaven. It's the reality of heaven, the ways of the king, which is God himself being seen today. I came to the conclusion when we delve deeper into this, I realized this. It says this, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. Brothers and sisters, this is talking about the millennial reign. Those who will keep close to God, those who will be intimate, those who will walk with the fear of the Lord, those people who do that, when life as it is, is over here, they will recognize just how wonderful a life they lived by what God will call them to do. Brothers and sisters, what I'm going to really uh, declare to you is this. The people of this church had a heavenly hope. They had a heavenly hope. It wasn't about the house, the size of the family, even though they could have been blessed with a good house and a massive family, whatever. It wasn't about living in the natural. It was living for him, with him, in the natural. That's what they held on to. And when you have that heavenly hope, when you live by faith, I came to the conclusion when reading all of these churches, the conclusion, in order to be an overcomer, you have to overcome, as a believer, the desire to no longer walk with him. You have to overcome the desire to move by fear. You have to overcome the, 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 the effects of um, wrong information coming to, to distort how you see things and having anxiety. You have to let go of all of those things and hold on to him. This is the only way. What is that called? It's called the fight of faith. For you to overcome, whether you're in Philadelphia, whether you're in Tyra Tyra, it always was back down to this. Have full faith in Christ Jesus. And if you do, your works will be affected. Listen to this, James. James says this. Someone will say, you have faith by what they say. And I have works. 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What does this mean? It means that the actions, the words that James was doing was based on his faith in Christ. It wasn't enough. It isn't enough just to say, I have faith in Christ. It's not enough, guys. I want to make, I want to make revolutionaries here. Are you ready? We want someone from the States or Africa to come and give us a word which will catapult us to do exactly what I'm going to say to you, which is this. God wants you to be fearless for him. Whether it's on the train, whether it's on the bus, whether you're walking down the road, whether you're sitting in McDonald's, be fearless. Share the life. Share the love. Know the message of the gospel. Share it freely. If they reject you, don't worry. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. At least you are a witness. Don't be scared. Okay, well, Andrew, I've been struggling in, in life, you know. I was addicted to this. I was addicted to that. I thought this was good. I thought that was bad. And it's not true. What should I do? You've been born again. Stop, forget, stop remembering that old life. We don't need, you don't need someone to, 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 to inspire you to, to do something and walk away. The reality is the word of God is here. It's being presented. And if we accept it, everything changes. Everything changes. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're fat. It doesn't matter if you're thin. It doesn't matter. None of these things matter. The only thing that matters is, have you accepted Christ and are you living completely for him? And if you are living completely for him, guess what? You've received all of his love. And if you've received all of his, his love, guess what? Fear has been cast out. So there is no more fear. There is no more fear of, of sharing the gospel. There is no more fear of forgiving someone. There is no more fear of, of doing all these things to allow our flesh to operate. The only way you can crucify the flesh is to fall daily in love with Christ himself. And any excuse you have or you're giving yourself to not live fully for him means the old you that is supposed to be dead will still be alive. That's how you no longer hold on to your crown. Let's talk about this. What is the crown? There are many crowns that the Bible talks about. This is worth making some notes. The runner's crown. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. The shepherd's crown, 1 Peter 5, 4. You're going to have to listen to this message again. The soul winner's crown, found in Philippians 4, verse 11. The crown of suffering found in James 1-2, the watcher's crown. And that is really where you're watching for his coming again, really rapture, right? And that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Let me break these crowns down. If you live for him, the runner's crown, you'll have that crown. The shepherd's crown. You don't have to be a pastor to have the shepherd's crown. But who are you leading and discipling for Christ? You do that, if even just for one, you get the shepherd's crown. The soul widow's crown. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Not just in message. Not just in message. And that takes heart to do that. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> but I'm talking about in your lifestyle. There may be people who you never share the gospel with, but because you live revealing the Father's heart every day, there may be a day when that person <clears throat> who you never knew was watching you asks you, why are you different? 
Why are you different? What makes you different? And that's when you can giggle and say, ah, Pastor Andrew said this day would come. What makes me different is the God that I believe. And I don't just believe in him. That's who you've seen. The sufferer's crown. It's one crown I don't want, but the sufferer's crown is, 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 is going through tribulation. And I'm not talking about the great tribulation. I'm not talking about that. But persecution. There are people who are dying all around the world today for Christ. These people suffer his crown. The watcher's crown, which we're all invited to have, where we are being expectant of Christ's return. Put this together, my brothers and sisters. There's crowns available. One of the crowns is being expectant. If Christ was to come tomorrow, would you be ready? Would you be happy? Would, would you be willing to go through the assessment, the report that he's going to say? Why? Because he knows your works. Would you be happy to say, I've given everything, I've lived for you? If your answer is no, I pray that this moment you have ears to hear. Because if you're breathing and Christ is yet to come, you have control of the report card. You have control of what he's going to say. Philippians 2.10 says, you have been created for good works. You should really say, you've been created for God's works. Each and every one of us, this is unbelievable. Imagine all the issues that you're going through in your family, at home, in yourself, at church, at work. When you're walking with the Spirit of God, built, programmed within the Spirit of God, is the solution, is the overcoming ability of whatever issue you're going through or facing right now. If you walk with him, you will overcome. But you can't overcome by simply saying, you know what, <laughs> Pastor Andrew, you preached a good word today. <laughs> yeah. And you just forget about it. You can't do that. The reality is, this has to be received with a humble heart. It's quite sobering. Listen to this. Everyone knows this line. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I had a great friend who used to listen to the Bible all the time. And I asked him, why do you listen to the Bible like that all the time? He says, because faith comes by hearing. And I, in my head, I started giggling because he missed it. Faith doesn't come by hearing the audio Bible every day, no. That verse is actually divided in two. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. Hearing really is a sensitive heart. If you have an insensitive heart, you need to get into the word of God for your heart to be sensitive. If it's sensitive, it's hearing. So if you have a hearing heart, all you need is the word because that is the moment faith will take place. Psalms 36, 9. In your light... In my light, I see light. Psalms 119 says that the word of God is light. The Bible talks about his, the presence of God being light. So check this out. Really, it's this. In the presence of God, I see the revelation of God's words. It's the revelation of God's word that changes you. Many people read the word of God 
and say amen in spiritual darkness. What I mean by that, not that they're walking in sin, but they're just not aware of the presence of God. The whole idea is, I'm supposed to read my words. And as I read my words, not being aware of the presence of God, I am slowly coming into the presence of God, and that is where I have revelation. Worth writing down, revelation produces worship. Worship isn't singing. Singing and and meditating on the word, reading the word, are simply pathways into the presence of God. So whether you sing the word, read the word, meditate on the word, journal the word, the common denominator is that it's the word. And the word produces revelation. And revelation produces worship. And these people of Philadelphia lived like this. They knew that if they just hold on to the spirit and word of God, that's all they needed. Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 6 says this. As a prisoner, I read verse to verse 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me break that down. People are going to annoy you every day. Forgive them. Let it go. Hold on to the peace of God. If everyone holds on to the peace of God, that's what unites us. Instead of being united because of the church we go to, instead of being united by the country we're from, instead of being united by the language we speak, we're united by the peace. We're united by the Holy Spirit himself. Those who hold on to spirit, that's the church. And this is what we've been called to. We have been called to hold on to the spirit and word of God that truly brings unity to us. One of the names of Philadelphia is, is, is um, friendly fellowship. The church of Philadelphia was known for friendly fellowship. Doesn't talk so much about the power of God. It was, it was known as friendly fellowship. Why? Because these people were revealing the nature of God. These people walked in love. These people walked in peace. These people abided to the word of God, and as a result, the fruit of the Spirit began to flow. There was love, there was joy, there was peace, there was kindness, there was self-control. These are all attributes of the manifestation of the Spirit of God at work in a believer. There is no degree that can get your mind to function at that level, but the Spirit of God can. The only question is, are you going to live daily surrendered for this to happen? And if you do, the letters to the churches, the seven churches, are to inspire you. That one day, guess what? You're going to be judged for your works. Every one of us, you're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged. Uh, I'm going to be judged. But I can be excited and expectant if today, you join me today and say, you know what? I repent. I've been doing Jesus Incorporated. Jesus has been incorporated in my life. He fits in there. But the reality is that 
will set you up for a bad judgment day. Jesus can't be incorporated. If this is a business, Jesus needs to take over. And if you're willing for him to take over, then every doubt that you had about Christianity begins to go. Those who are struggling to hear the voice of God, it begins to go. Why? Because you're walking at such a dimension of God's spirit that you start to hear him. You're walking at such a dimension of the spirit that you can start to speak to people. You have the boldness to say, you know, Jesus loves you and this happened to you, uh, you know, a few years ago and Jesus just wants to heal you. How did you know? Because you're walking in the reality of the spirit of God. Some of you may think, oh, you know, God's not really with me. No, you're just not aware. Just like you're not aware that you have a crown. You have something to lose. And the devil doesn't want you to know this truth. The devil wants you just to continue doing whatever it is that you do that makes your life doable and workable with Jesus. He doesn't want that. He, the devil does not want you to reveal Christ Jesus. How interesting. The verse talks about Christ, um, Christ the hope of glory. The hope of him being revealed in you. I want to encourage everyone. Galatians 5, one of my favorite verses, says, If you live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. You know what that reminds me of? That means this, right? That means if you have been made alive by the Spirit, walk in step with Him. You know, have you ever been to a hospital? And um, I know there's nurses here. What's that, um, that, it's like it's on a stick sometimes, and it has liquid, it's like a, a, a UV, what's it called? Intravenous... IV thing, right? Check this out, right? You know I'm, I, I like my images. Jesus wants you to act as if the Spirit of God is what you need to... You know you have to walk around with it, right? He wants you to realize that if you go too far, you'll disconnect. And if you disconnect, you lose the power to even do what you were doing in the first place. He wants you to hold tight Remain connected, abide, and be empowered with, what, with the Holy Spirit that is in that sack for you to do the good works he's called you to do. Without him, you can do no good thing. This is what the church of Philadelphia done. This is what they've done. This is what we're invited to do. So yes, there are crowns to be won. Unfortunately, there's crowns to be lost. As I was meditating on this message, I thought to myself, all the messed up weeks I have done, not truly walking for him. I can't take those weeks back, those days back, those months back, but I can allow him to define my days and weeks and months to come. And that's what we've been called to do. We can't, be effect- we can't do anything about the past, but we can do something today and tomorrow. I want to invite the worship team just to flow behind me. God wants you to know that the most important thing he wants you to do is to trust him fully and totally. 
the Philadelphia church functioned by the Spirit of God. A Spirit-filled and controlled life is a life worthy of the calling that Jesus Christ has called you onto. To be filled requires you to be surrendered. But if you're filled, you'll be controlled by him. And if you're controlled by him, life changes completely. The supernatural starts to flow. People's lives around you start to flow. How you see life completely changes. You no longer see things through your eyes. The eyes that like to consider yourself naked. I'm talking about Genesis. The wrong perspective. But you start to see through Jesus' eyes. Where you realize you're not naked, you're clothed in him. You're clothed in his presence. Brothers and sisters, anything less than what I'm telling you is religion. Anything less than what I'm talking about is boring. Anything less that I'm talking about is full of hard works and your failure and compromise and guilt and shame. I'll end with this testimony that took place this morning. I have a, a leader, and he said to me, um, <laughs> I went into the youth ministry, and I said to um, my co-assistant, I said, Josephine, like, what's, 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 what's happened? How come this particular person isn't here? And she was so upset because like, she was angry that he wasn't there because he, was, he said that he's not coming. Instead of me losing my head, I said to myself, I should just message to see if everything's okay. I messaged him and I said, his name, what's wrong? He said, Pastor A, if I'm honest with you, yesterday I failed. I done something that was wrong in God's eyes. And I feel too ashamed to come to church. I feel too ashamed to speak to young people. And I said to him, hmm. I said to him, get yourself to church in 30 minutes. He lives very far. I said, get yourself to church for one reason. The sin you sinned yesterday has been forgiven. And if you try to work yourself into God's good books again, you're going to fall again. Every day, we've been given an opportunity to take the, the fresh, clean slate that Jesus has offered us. We don't deserve it. And a prideful person will reject it because a prideful person will say, I'd much rather work my way into your graces, but you can't get in that way. I told him, what you've done is wrong, of course, but what Jesus has done on the cross is better. And if we start to connect with what Jesus has done, then I tell you, it's going to affect what you do. He came in and he rededicated his life. My point we may fall sometimes. We may be, feel guilty sometimes. But if you just go back to the cross, if you just remember who he is, if you just remember what he's done for you, if you just remember who you are in him and say yes to that, then the good tree will start to produce good fruit. I encourage you all, let us be a church that fellowships with each other in a friendly way. Not by our own strength, 
but by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.